During the first lockdown, I, like millions of others, downloaded TikTok, which is a social media app where people upload 60-second videos about anything they want. So you could scroll from the proper press-up technique to a sermon snippet to a song to my personal favorite, cute dog videos. It's great. And one of the big TikTok trends this January was singing sea shanties. Yes, you heard me correctly. People were singing 19th century sailor songs and it was going viral. The first time I saw it, it was just one guy singing. And I thought, yeah, like he has a nice voice, but I don't really get it. But then I discovered the duets. See, TikTok has this thing where you can duet a video by putting your audio and video next to the original audio and video. So people kept adding to the original song. Well, cut to me weeping as I watched this gorgeous seven-part harmony with cello and violinist accompaniment on repeat. Don't judge me, we're all handling lockdown differently, okay? But what started out as a fine, mediocre video had been transformed into a beautiful and moving masterpiece. Individuals had joined in with their own voice and their own gifting to create something bigger than any one of them. And that's the church. A bunch of individuals gathering hearts and talents to sacrificially serve and create something greater than themselves. Now, you might be thinking, I thought we were in the Intimacy with Jesus series, so why are we talking about group anything? Intimacy is kind of a me and Jesus private personal thing, you know? And at first, yeah, you're right. Until we start to realize what church really is and how important it is to Jesus. He actually teaches us that church is entwined with who he is and is his primary way of growing our faith, of healing us, and of making us look more like him. Throughout scripture, church is defined and described in a few really beautiful ways. It's referred to as Jesus's bride in Ephesians and Revelation, the family of God in Galatians and 1 Timothy and Romans and a bunch of other places. And of course, as Phil mentioned a few weeks ago, the body of Christ. Romans 12 verse five says it this way. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of it. So being a part of the global church and being a part of a local church such as Coastline means you are a part of one bride, one family, one body. But we're living in this weird world right now where you can pick and choose your church. You can say, oh, I really like Michael Todd's preaching and oh, but I love me some elevation worship and oh, Trent's doing that cool thing. So I'll just pop onto that. And I gotta tell you outright, that's not church. If you are picking and choosing different aspects of different churches, but are not grounded in a community of believers, you are not doing church. Church isn't a Tesco meal deal where you get to choose whatever sandwich and snack you're currently craving. Church is a family supporting and loving and uplifting one another. Church is a bride coming together to adore the bridegroom Jesus. Church is a body honoring and serving each and every part for a greater good. And if you're not acting as a part of a family, sharing resources and responsibilities, if you're not acting as the faithful and committed bride, if you're not acting as one body being vulnerable and protecting all the other parts, you are missing out. 
and not just on church. You're missing out on Jesus. You're only experiencing part of his body, his bride, his family. And that's not okay because he died so you can have all of him. But you're only able to experience all of him and and all of his presence when you experience the family he died for. So you are missing out on his goodness, on his heart, on, on his love, on his very presence. Jesus is really clear about how closely knitted to his bride he is in Acts 9 when we hear the story of Paul's conversion. Paul was one of the the great early church leaders and one of the greatest missionaries and evangelists of all time. But before that, he was a murderer, committing genocide against the Christians. But Jesus encounters him in a blinding light and asks him, why do you persecute me? And then a verse later says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, Paul is attacking the church, but Jesus doesn't say that. He asks Paul why he's persecuting him, because to Jesus, when the church is attacked, he's attacked. To persecute the church is to persecute Jesus, to attack his very body, his his very self. This connection between God's identity and presence with his people gathering and uniting together is seen all throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, for example, we see that a family of four brothers is required to carry the Ark of the Covenant, the manifest physical presence of God here on earth. And then we see this in the New Testament when Holy Spirit falls for the first time during Pentecost. Acts 2 tells us the story that all the believers were together in one place. Holy Spirit didn't fall while they were each out doing their own thing. He fell when they had gathered and sought him together. The presence of God was always meant to be carried and cultivated by a family, by a community. Not only is his presence cultivated in family, uniting us to him, but community often plays a key role in growing our faith and our understanding of who the Lord is. Mark 2 gives a great example of this as it tells the story of a group so desperate to get their friend to Jesus, they commit a serious act of vandalism. I'm going to read from Mark 2 verse 1, so feel free to read along. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Now notice something 
verse 5 says that when Jesus saw their faith, he acted, not the paralytic's faith, the faith of his friends. The whole story hinges on them. It is because of the faith of that man's community that he walks again and that he's an encounter with the Messiah, with Jesus. His friend's faith stirs the heart of God and leads to his whole life being changed and transformed. That's what your faith can do for other people. And that's what other people's faith can do for you. It leads us into deeper knowing of God, deeper intimacy with the Lord. To go back to that metaphor of the body in Romans, when I was a teenager, I dislocated my right shoulder and I'm right-handed, so I couldn't write, which was really good news for me because I actually had an exam in my history class the next day. So I assumed I was gonna get a free pass on it. Well, my history teacher, Mr. Rhyme, walked up to my desk, looked at me with my arm in a sling and said, Miss Shrek, you have another arm. P.S. That's a spot on impression of him. But that man made me take the exam with my left hand. I still don't think I'm over. I couldn't believe it. But the same principle applies here. When our right shoulders hurt, we have another one. When our left ankle sprained, our right ankle can take the weight. Every part of a body helps and serves the other parts. So when my right shoulders hurt, my body adapts to protect it and allows it the time and space and help it needs to be healed. You might be in a season where you're the right shoulder and you need to be vulnerable and let the rest of the body take care of you, letting their faith spur yours on. Or maybe you're in a season where you're the left shoulder and you need to serve the parts of the body that are hurting, showing them God's love and goodness. Regardless of, of which you are right now, God has designed us to grow and to be healed in community and relationship. Even though community and relationship is often the very source of our deepest wounds. In fact, I know some of you are squirming right now at the thought of genuine deep community because you never got over the way someone mistreated you in the past. Maybe it was a fellow believer or maybe even a leader that has let you down or hurt you. Maybe you're sitting there saying, I can't love the church. I can't trust it. The church is the one who hurt me. And if that is your story, if the church or leadership or a fellow believer has hurt or diminished you in any way, whether that was Coastline or me or any of my Christian brothers and sisters, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that our brothers and sisters have let you down and not shown you Jesus. And I'm so sorry that past pain and disappointment is keeping you from knowing him better now. I think it might be hitting some of us particularly hard this week in light of what's come out about another well-known Christian leader falling to sexual misconduct and exploitation of women. And so let me be absolutely 100% clear here. Jesus is not okay with abuse. He's not okay with sexual or emotional or physical or spiritual abuse. He's not okay with sexism or racism or any other system or structure that oppresses his beloved humanity and is fueled by a hunger for power rather than a desire to love. That is a sin. And we as believers, as the body of Christ, need to call it out as such. 
Now, when there's genuine repentance, genuine wanting to do better, we as believers also need to offer grace and forgiveness because we know the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. But Jesus grieves with you over your wounding and your hurt. He's also not okay with you staying wounded and hurt. His heart is for you. His heart is for your healing and wholeness. And the best place to heal according to his word and design, whether we like it or not, is in family. There was a study done on trauma and its long-term effects by a guy called James Penbaker. What he found surprised him because he anticipated that the nature and type of trauma would determine if and how an individual was able to heal. That was not the case. The study found that the nature of trauma is irrelevant. And the number one predictor of if people will get through something is if the person impacted has loving relationships to help them through it. Not necessarily perfect relationships that doesn't really exist, but if they had community or a support network or family they could trust, they would make it through the trauma and consider themselves healed. That's not because humans are more powerful than God or that we don't need him or anything crazy like that, but because God designed it that way. He designed us to need each other. He designed us to love him and be intimate with him and to carry his presence, but to do so together. Our culture and our past experiences and pain prefer autonomy, prefer isolation. But so does sin. Sin loves autonomy and isolation. God doesn't. He hates it. Autonomy and isolation give sin and lies space to hide and grow. It lets wounds fester and turn to bitterness. It pushes us away from the Lord and leads us to a hard heart. But when you are known and loved in a family, no matter how messy or imperfect that family is, when you're honest and vulnerable about where you're at and what you need, you can be healed. You're able to see Jesus more clearly and know him deeply to understand his heart and his love for you and to let him shape you so that we look more like our true selves and look more like him. Now, this takes some refining. It sounds really easy and lovely, doesn't it? Very kumbaya, we're all in this together. It's just one big happy family helping each other out, enjoying each other's company. But we all know the reality of that isn't that. It isn't quite so simple. It takes discipline and vulnerability and forgiveness and awkwardness and sacrifice and, and showing up when we'd rather run. Because as we're being healed in the presence of God and in the presence of his people, stuff's going to come up. Some pretty gnarly stuff, in fact, because genuine community is the greatest mirror we have. The Lord uses our brothers and sisters to bring our issues from the darkness into light and to stretch our holiness so that we look more like him. I had a good friend call me out on something over the summer. I didn't want to hear it. It wasn't a particularly easy conversation, but there was something in my behavior that wasn't lining up with who God calls me to be. And she saw it and she wasn't okay with it. It was slightly awkward. I was a little embarrassed, of course, but I'm so happy she had the courage to do that. 
because now I'm able to let Holy Spirit into that area, into the the insecurities that were creating that behavior. I've received healing from the Lord and I'm being refined and transformed by Him. I'm getting to know this new piece of His heart for me all because of her, because of Holy Spirit inside her, and because of the relationship built on love and trust that we have. My friend didn't only bring me closer to Jesus by calling out the un-Jesus parts of me and intentionally pushing me into greater intimacy with God. She also did so by showing me the unique part of his heart and character that she carries. That's what the church and corporate spirituality does so well. Every believer embodies specific pieces of God and his kingdom. So the more I get to know and love my fellow believers, the more I get to know and love those different parts of the Lord. I can actually tell you specifically how various people in my life have shown me who Jesus is. And I bet if you think about it, you could probably do the same with people in your own life. John has shown me God's integrity. Mariah has taught me about his righteousness. Beth Williams has displayed God's love and honesty to me more times than I can count. And because of them being them, I get to see Jesus. When you are fully you, I'm actually able to fall more in love with Jesus. And when I'm fully me, you're able to fall more in love with Jesus because you get to to see and know the different parts of him that you might not otherwise encounter. And that's the whole point of everything, that each of us falls more madly in love with Jesus. Some of you are wondering where Jesus has gone, why he seems distant or why it's hard to love him right now. And it's because you're not connected to his body. And listen, I get that it's easier said than done in the current COVID situation. The fact that church and community look like screens and occasional walks is not ideal. I don't like it, but you are still called to engage with it because you're still called to engage with his church. So really practically, if you're feeling not close to Jesus, are you in a life group? Are you actually going to that life group? Are you connecting in with church? Have you, have you joined in with the YouTube chat or the prayer meetings? Is there someone you need to be reconciled to? Have you thought about volunteering in some way? Have you gone for a walk with a fellow believer? Did you pray at the end of that walk? I know community and church is not easy right now. It's not easy for me. There have definitely been times this past year where I've been so tempted to just not watch the service because I'm so tired of having to watch service on a screen or times where I've thought I'm just way too exhausted to call up that person you're putting on my heart, Holy Spirit. Times where I don't want to deal with other people's hurts or where I haven't wanted to share my own hurts and be vulnerable with my community about how I'm really doing but I know I can't do any of those things. And it's not just because I work for a church, but because none of us actually get the choice about whether or not we engage with church. Yes, there is a cost to community. There is a cost to church. It requires us to sacrifice time and resources and to risk our hearts in trust and vulnerability, but it's so worth it. 
The Lord loves it and calls us into it. It's his bride. It's his body. It's what he's paid the highest price for, that all would join this family of believers who would seek him and love him and know him. And it's one of the most incredible gifts he's given us to deepen our intimacy with him. The family of God leads us into encounters with Jesus as we let one another's faith and relationship with the Lord spur us on. It heals our hearts and encourages us to pursue all he has for us. It refines and transforms and disciplines us, allowing us to grow into who he made us to truly be. It shows us more of who he is and how wonderful and beautiful this multifaceted God is. It unites us to him, our, to our maker and our beloved by uniting us to his body.